Good morning again, everyone. I hope you are all, all are well. Um, if you are our guest this morning, welcome. Uh, glad to have you. Um, if you're worshiping with us online, welcome. We're, we're glad you're tuning in. Uh, I'm Pastor Ryan. I am the pastor here at Anchor, and we're just, we're honored to have you. I'm so excited to be here today. Just Man, God is doing some cool things, and I'm just really excited about it. So uh, really quickly, just to add on to what Dylan said, or just to re- reiterate, um, water baptisms. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet, um, come talk to me about it. Um, it's, it's a command that Jesus gives his followers to be baptized, and, and I just want, it's an easy next step if you haven't taken that step. So we already have one uh, that's going to be baptized that Sunday, and uh, I'm really excited about it, but um, we want to give everyone who wants that opportunity the chance to do it. So if you're interested in that, come talk to me after service. I'd love to um, get, you, get you all squared away. Uh, before I start my message, though, we did have... Um, a group of ladies go to, uh, it's called the Fashion Tour up in Hokesson yesterday, and um, I wanted to actually invite my favorite lady to come up and talk about it. So uh, can you welcome my beautiful wife this morning? <laughs> Babe, tell us about what you did yesterday. I'm going to hold you no, like this. No, you're this. not. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so a group of us went to the Inspire Tour. The theme is fashioned. FYI. Um, anyway, so um, we drove up there. It was really fun. And, um, all right, come on. Not stopping this today. Okay. All right. Okay, so, um, so my favorite part about, like, conferences or retreats is just the time of getting away. So this men's conference that's coming up, um, Listen, okay? It's not just for girls. So, not right now. Thank you. Um, so, my favorite part was just just that time spent away and spending time in the presence of God where there's, there's nowhere for me to be. I have no to-do list. I'm just, I just get to be. And um, one of our ladies got to, I mean, there's just, you know, if you want to ask some of the ladies that went, um, like what God did in them. But one of them shared with me today that like over the last couple of years, she's been holding on to like just this burden and anger. And God is like yesterday just help is helping her release some of that like bitterness and anger and just the burden that she has. And um, we can get that at home and we can get that at church or um, in our living room and, and quiet time. But there's just something different about when you can get away um, from the noise and the busyness of life and just be in the presence of God. So, um, and then they also like had um, all the women that were 15 older to go up front and then they prayed over everyone that was younger than them. And that was a very sweet um, time. Just they blessed us and it was just like, for us, it was really good. So um, that's all I have. Thank you for listening. Awesome. Thank you for sharing, Robin. If you haven't been on one of those, like, they're, like, worth it. Like, they're worth the time. They're worth the, the financial investment, the, little, the small registration fee you got to pay. Like, it's worth it. To, and, and there's something, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something special about getting out of your normal and, and seeking God. Like, when you go away to seek the face of God, something special happens. I don't know why. I don't know what, but something does. And it's just like, 
it's, it's just, it's cool. So um, I really want to encourage you, if you haven't been on one, go to one. God will do some cool things. So um, today we are continuing in our uh, series, the Romans, a letter from the Apostle Paul, and we are going to uh, dive into the latter half of uh, chapter 13. But before I look at the scriptures, I have, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, have you ever seen the movie, The Bucket List? Anybody ever heard of that movie? Heard of it. Some of you have seen it. Um, the Bucket List, uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, came out in 2007, and it is a movie about two terminally ill cancer patients. And um, they decide they want to start crossing off items on their bucket list. Now, if you don't know what a bucket list is, um, when you're about to kick the bucket, right, when someone's about to pass away, um, they they go through their bucket list items. And bucket list item is, is something you want to accomplish or see or experience before you die. And so this movie is centered around these two terminally ill cancer patients who are crossing off their bucket list items and they do some cool things. They go skydiving, they go, uh, they uh, like race car, uh, a vintage Shelby Mustang and Dodge Challenger around the California Speedway. They, um, fly over the North Pole. They visit the Taj Mahal in India. They ride motorcycles on the Great Wall of China. They, um, what else? What, what else do they do? They uh, go on safari in Tanzania. They visit Mount Everest. They indulge every personal desire that they have. Um, and they had a blast doing it. When time was running out, they decided that they were going to squeeze every bit of pleasure out of the rest of their life that they could. Um, when time is running out, when, when things are becoming urgent, they did what's natural and they decided to pursue self-gratification. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, imagine for a second how you would feel if you were told that you only have a few months to live. Just imagine that for a second. You only have a few months to live. How would you feel? you might try to, to do the same thing. Jam as much life into those last days as possible. You might travel to places you've never been before. You might try to do things that you had previously never made time for. Uh, you might want to... Um, you, you might want to try things um, new that you've never done before, all that, all that good stuff. Like It would not be difficult to understand why you'd want to spend your last days indulging yourself. I think I have a bucket list too, right? Like one of my bucket list things is I want to drive, there's a thing called the Pan American Highway. I want to drive the entire length of it. It goes all the way up from the top of Alaska down to the bottom of South America. I think it'd be really cool to do that in my life. That is a bucket list item. And it's, it's, Again, easy to understand why people would want to indulge themselves in that thing, spend their last days doing uh, things that, that are going to please themselves. But the Apostle Paul proposes a radically different uh, response to a similar type of deadline, one that every Christ follower must face. How many of us take for granted the God-given um, everyday enjoyments of life because we're stuck pursuing our own desires. 
Today, I want to look at what Scripture says about our response to urgency, and, and that's what I'm calling the message today, response to urgency. I think the title, that Obeying the Law, I changed it on Jerry, so Jerry, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I changed it on Jerry. Um, our response to urgency, if I was going to call it anything, I'd call it that, our response to urgency. And I want to look at what the Scriptures have to tell us today about that, but first, would you pray with me this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word today. Open our minds that we would um, begin to perceive your truth, the truth that you have ready for us. We love you, God. We just um, invite you to be with us today. Have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We're going to finish up chapter 13. My friend Pastor Adam was here last week, and he, uh, he brought the word uh, from Romans uh, 13, 1 through 10. Uh, I'm going to actually start in verse 8, so I'm going to recap a few verses that he talked about, but we're going to finish up chapter 13 today and see what the word has to tell us today. Uh, but before before, before I read, um, I want to tell you something I tell you almost every week. Whenever I preach, I preach from a perspective of there and then. Pastor Ryan, what does that mean? I believe that if we're going to understand how the Bible applies here and now, we have to understand what it meant there and then. If we're going to understand the words of the Bible, I believe we have to understand the world of the Bible. And that means understanding the context, right? Understanding that the Bible is an East, ancient Eastern culture document and we are modern Western culture people. So our, our initial understanding of it is probably not going to be the right one. So we got we to gotta understand the world of the Bible to understand the words and understand what it means. And so Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8, it says this, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not, commit, uh, must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is the Apostle Paul summing up all of Scripture in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you could sum it up in one statement, that would be the totality of Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is a direct quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Leviticus is uh, in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of people would say that it's obsolete, doesn't matter, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter to us now. I would say that they're wrong. Um, it's a direct quote from Leviticus 19:18. Jesus also did this in the, the book of Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 through 40. Jesus is asked, "What's the greatest commandment?" The, the Pharisees were trying to trap him, ask, "What's the greatest commandment?" And Jesus said, "The greatest commandment is this: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength." That is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Again, Old Testament, still relevant. But Jesus goes on to say the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Another direct quote from Leviticus 19, 18. Now really quickly, just really quickly, I want to point out that um, this portion of Romans is not just the Apostle Paul regurgitating what Jesus said, right? And, and here's, here's what I mean. 
Jesus is quoted as saying what he said in Matthew chapter 22, right? Um, and, and Matthew, the book of Matthew was written between the year 80 AD and the year 90 AD, okay? Paul wrote what he wrote in the letter to the Romans circa 57 AD, so about 30 years before the gospel of Matthew was in circulation, Paul wrote what he wrote. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that scripture always corroborates itself. Scripture always proves itself that, that, that Paul did, just didn't hear a teaching from Jesus and then like regurgitate it. No, Paul knew what the scripture said. He knew what it meant and he taught that. Jesus knew what the scripture said. He knew what it meant and he taught that and it was the same thing. Was it? Scripture always proves itself. They didn't know each other. They didn't have contact with each other most likely, but they came up with the same interpretation. The greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture always proves itself. It's really important that we understand that. Verse 11, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The Apostle Paul is imploring the Roman church to have urgency when it comes to their faith. Wake up. Time is running out. Do you have urgency when it comes to your faith? Do we have urgency when it comes to our faith? Do we understand that time is running out? That's real. Time is running out. I don't know when. I don't know when, he, when the return is. I don't know when it's all going to end, but time is coming to an end. Time is, is running out. One day soon, Jesus will return to judge the earth, and we have to be ready for that return. Verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. The Apostle Paul makes two statements here about salvation that I think are, are pretty important for us to understand. The first statement is this, salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. This is another urgency statement. It's nearer now than it ever has been. Now, think about, if you think about it like this, time as like a linear thing, right? The beginning, the end. Every day that passes, we get closer to the end, right? So logically speaking, like we're closer than we were yesterday, right? We were closer than we were a year ago. So that's kind of what he's talking about. We're, we're closer to salvation now than, than we ever have been, than when we first believed. Then he says, salvation will soon be here, which tells me that true salvation, listen, true salvation comes after death or at the second coming of Christ. Pastor Ryan, are you saying that I'm not saved right now? What I'm saying is salvation comes at death or at the second coming of Christ. What we live in right now is justification. The death and resurrection of Jesus has justified us in the eyes of God and we, because we, we are made right by, by God through faith or made right in God's sight by faith and faith alone. That's justification. True salvation comes after death. That's what scriptures say. And, and true salvation actually requires us to, to have faith. It requires that we, we trust that God is going to save us in the end. Salvation will soon be here. 
verse 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or, and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Now, really quickly, he says, we belong to the day. What that is, that's a metaphor uh, day and night, uh, darkness and light is a metaphor for evil and righteousness. So when he says we belong to the day, he's, he's saying we're righteous now. Because, of, because our faith is in Jesus, we're now righteous in the eyes of God and we have to live like it. That's, that's what he's saying now. We, 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 we belong to the day now. We belong to righteousness now. We no longer belong to evil or darkness. Verse 14 Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So the Apostle Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans laying out doctrine for our faith. He's laying out spiritual doctrine for us to, to know, like, this is, this is what our faith is. Is it, like this is what our faith is. This is the foundations of our faith in Christ, right? Faith, uh, uh, righteousness comes by faith and faith alone from start to finish, right? Foundational. That's, that's what he calls the good news in chapter one. He talks about how humanity's trapped in a downward spiral of sin and wickedness. Then he goes on and he talks about justification. And he talks about sanctification. He talks about how we're loved beyond measure by God. And he talks about God's uh, mercy. And he talks about how uh, the law is good. And he goes through all these doctrinal things in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then starting in chapter 12, throughout the rest of the letter, it's practical application. It's, it's practical application. The first 11 chapters is the doctrine. The last, uh, the last four or five chapters is this is how it, lo- it should look in your life. This is what it's supposed to look like when we live it out. And today there are two practical applications that we can take away from the scriptures. There, there are two musts that we have to learn, I believe. Two musts that we have to live by. And that's what I want to talk about today. The, the two musts that we need to know to be able to live out the doctrines that the Apostle Paul laid out in, in the first 11 chapters of Romans. The first must that I want to talk about today is this. We must love abundantly. We must love abundantly. First John chapter 4, verse 16 says this. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. If we want to fulfill the requirements of the law, we must love abundantly. We have to love abundantly. We have to, love has to be the lens through which we exist. Love has to be the lens through which we uh, speak to people. Love has to be the lens through which we see people. Love abundantly. That is the first must. And I'm not talking about love like the way the world loves, right? I'm not talking about the world's kind of love that has conditions attached to it. I'm not talking about the the kind of love that the world has where there's strings attached, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'll love you as long as I get something out of it. I'll love you as long as it benefits me. When loving you stops being convenient, I'm out. That's the kind of love the world has. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, what kind of love are you talking about, Pastor Ryan? What's this abundant love? What does it look like? I believe the answer to that is found in Scripture. 
the answer to that is found in Scripture. And, and we're supposed to love people with, that, with, with God's kind of love. The, this is the God kind of love I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8 say this, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and always endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special, special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. This is the type of love we're supposed to love people with, and it's, this kind of love is supposed to be an overflow of God's love for us. See, when we become Christ followers, we're supposed to experience the love of God. It's supposed to be something that we experience regularly. And then out of that experience, we get to love people from the overflow of love that God has given us. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, really quickly, like this 1 Corinthians uh, 13 passage that I just read, uh, it's really famous for being like recited at every wedding in the history of Western culture, right? Like, um, like I feel like everybody uses this to like, you know, in their wedding cer- ceremony, but the original context of these verses is not a wedding. It's not a marriage. This is the way God loves us. God is patient. God is kind. God is not jealous. He's not boastful. He's not rude. He's not proud. What else? God, God rejoices in the truth, Right? God keeps no record of wrongs. God never gives up. He, he never loses faith. He's always hopeful. He endures through every circumstance. God will last forever, right? This is the way God loves us, and we're supposed to love people that way out of the overflow of the way he loves us. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work. The only debt you still owe God is to love people that way. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to to cover over our sins and pay every debt we have till the end of time except one, that debt. We owe everyone to love them that way. It's our job to love people the way God loves us. It's our job to do it. We must love abundantly. I've talked about this multiple times before that... um, uh, when I was a young adult, I did a, a post-high school discipleship program called Master's Commission. Uh, and Master's Commission, was, it was great, and God used it to, to change my life. But Master's Commission wasn't free. <laughs> Master's Commission actually co- cost a lot of money. And um, it, was, it was cool because my first year I got a scholarship, but I did it for three years. And the, second, the last two years, I didn't get a scholarship, and I didn't have any way to pay for it. So this... This tuition bill just kept racking up, racking up, racking up. And when, when I'm done with master's commission, it's time to pay up. And Ryan didn't have a job, didn't have a college fund or anything like that. And so I go to the director of the program to have a conversation to let him know, like, look, there's no way I can pay you. Like, you're going to have to take payments for decades because I can't pay you. Um, and I'm like in tears in his office and I'm, I'm just sharing, you know, I'm so sorry, but I, I, I just don't have the money. And, and it was, it was a cool conversation. The conversation ended with him forgiving the debt. Um, and, and it was tearful and I'm weepy and all that stuff getting up to leave. And he says, there's one thing you, you still owe. And I remember this because it's just always stuck out to me. He said, there's one thing you do owe. He goes, love people really well. 
And that's exactly what, what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 13. That's the debt that we owe. That's a debt that we'll always owe. That debt is never going to be paid off. We're never going to be able to love people enough, right? I've, I've done that enough. I've paid my dues, so I'm, I'm good. Nope. That's not how it works. That debt will never be paid off, so we have to continue We have to continue to try to pay it off. We have to continue to try to love people the way God loves us. The only thing we owe anyone is to love them abundantly with the love of God. That's the first must that we have to learn. We must love abundantly. The second must we have to learn is this. We must live intentionally. We must live intentionally. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. When an athlete trains for a sport, uh, they're intentionally doing things that are going to make them better at that sport, right? Kobe Bryant infamously, he was infamous for for practicing at 4 a.m. every morning. And he would shoot shoot to make 1,000 jump shots every day. He was training to become a really good basketball player, right? It's the same thing for us as Christ followers. You don't become like Jesus on accident. You don't. You don't become like Christ just like by, because you ha- it just happened. Like it's, it takes intentionality. It takes doing things that are going to cause you to become more like him, living your life in a way that's going to make you become more like Christ, this, this 1 Timothy 4 verse is a perfect example of living in, intentionally. Again, athletes don't, don't become good at what they do by, by accident. It takes a lot of training. And, and I think that word training is, is apt for us. It's, it's really applicable for us. We have to train to become like Christ. We have to. We, we must live intentionally. I believe this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 28 when, when he told his disciples to go make disciples. Matthew 28, uh, 19 through 20 say this, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go make disciples. Jesus didn't say go have church services. He didn't say, go, like, have people pray the sinner's prayer. He said, go make disciples. Now, really quickly, there's a difference between somebody praying to repent and somebody being a disciple. There's a difference. If, if you didn't know that, there is a difference. And I, I'm really excited because after Easter, we're going to start a series called Christian where we go over the difference between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So there is a difference between being a disciple and praying, praying a, a prayer of repentance. That's, Jesus didn't say, go have people pray prayers of repentance. He said, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And then in verse 20, he said this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. If I was to put verse 20 in my own words, he would say, it would say this, teach these new d- disciples to intentionally live like children of God. We have to live intentionally. We must live intentionally. Obeying all the commands that Jesus gave us isn't possible without the Holy Spirit. Uh, obeying all the commands, living, living up to God's standard on our own doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally is the opposite. 
We want to always gratify ourselves and, and pursue selfishness. God tells us to, he tells us to uh, nail ourselves to the cross, die to ourselves, right? So, so we can't do that naturally. So we need to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about the way we live because it doesn't come naturally. When I was about 18 years old, I sat in a chapel service uh, one Friday morning at the church I was attending. And um, the pastor who preached, uh, he preached a sermon called Goodbye. And um, he started out telling his story. And he told his story about how he uh, grew up in South Boston um, and in a broken home. His dad left when he was a little kid. And he talked about how it affected him, his brother, his sister, um, and, and how that was like one of the central things that kind of caused him to go off the deep end. Now, if you don't know, South, South Boston is like a really rough area of Boston. And he ran with a really rough crowd. And he talked about how he did drugs and he dealt drugs and um, all this thing. You know, he's telling his story. And then he talked about how he had this encounter with God and God got a hold of his life. And everything changed. And everything changed because of this. He read this verse. And, and this is what, what changed him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 say this, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And he talked about how he had to, uh, how he had to intentionally begin to live his life differently, um, all the way down to his Boston accent. That might sound weird, but like he realized that his, his identity was wrapped up in his old way of life, even, even to the point of like the way he talked, like his, he found his identity in that. He wanted his identity to be found in Christ alone. So he had to intentionally change the way he thought, change the way he spoke, change the, change the things that he did. He had to intentionally change his life so that his life could more reflect Christ. And so I said uh, it was a, a message called Goodbye, and he talked about saying goodbye to his old way of life, the throwing off the old life, and intentionally putting on a new way of living. We have to live intentionally. We have to make the decision every single day to live differently. Someone once said this, intentional living is the art of making our own choices before others' choices make us. Intentional living is the art of making our own choices before others' choices make us. In other words, we have to be proactive and not reactive. You have to choose the way you're going to respond when life happens. You get that diagnosis that you didn't see coming. You have to choose your response now. A relationship goes south. You don't... You didn't foresee it happening. A relationship goes south. You have to choose how you're going to respond now and not just let it happen and then react in the moment. We have to choose our attitudes now. We have to choose our responses to life now. We have to live intentionally the way God is calling us to live. So the first must was we have to, we have to, we must love abundantly. That's what the first must we have to learn. We must love abundantly. The second must we have to learn is this. We must live intentionally. Love fulfills all the requirements of God's laws. And living intentionally shows the world that we belong to Christ. These are the two musts that we can't miss. Um, worship team, you can come back up. You can come to the platform. Uh, 
What would happen in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in our church? What would happen in our city if we made the choice to love abundantly all the time? I'm not just talking about when we feel like it. I'm not just talking about when it's convenient. We make the choice to love abundantly all the time. What would happen? I think everything would change. Everything would be different if we stopped loving the way the world loves and we started loving the way God loves. If we stopped loving with conditions, if we stopped loving with strings attached and instead began fulfilling the law of God by loving others with the overflow of God's love for us, everything would be different. Could you imagine that? I think we'd see an entire city come to know Christ. I'm not talking about an entire city showing up at our church. I'm talking about an entire city would come to know the Lord as their Savior. That would be wild, but it would happen. Imagine for a moment living life so intentionally the way God asks us to that, that you stick out everywhere you go in the best possible way. Everywhere you go, somebody sees there's, there's something different about that person. There's, there's something different about them. They, there's, the line is super long at Walmart, and they, they have a smile on their face, right? Like, oh, this person cut them off, and they, like, they waved, you know, and, and not the one-finger salute, right? You know, like, like, could you imagine, like, imagine looking so much like Christ that people who don't know him are drawn to explore faith because you, you look like him. Imagine that for a second. Like, you might be sitting there thinking, like, you don't have what it takes to, to love abundantly. You don't have what it takes to live intentionally like I'm talking about. And I would say you are 100% correct. You don't have what it takes. None of us do. I don't have what it takes. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to love abundantly. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live intentionally the way God is calling us to live. And we're only empowered by the Holy Spirit when we put our faith and trust in him and in Christ as our savior. We must love abundantly. We must live intentionally. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, um, God, that you're calling us to a higher standard. You're calling us to... Um, to love people the way you do. You're calling us to, to become more and more like your son. God, what an honor. What an honor that you think, you think we can be like you. We just need your help. What an honor. God, I pray for all those today who might be struggling in, in the area of loving abundantly or struggling in the area of living intentionally. I pray for, for everyone today that, that God, First of all, that they would experience your grace, that they would know that you, that you offer grace freely, your, your unmerited favor. It, it's free. That you are patient. God, I pray that, that we would understand today or begin to understand more that you're patient. You're gracious compassionate, God. You're slow to anger. You're rich in love. You're good to all who call on you, God. I pray that we would begin to understand that better today. 
understand that more deeply. God, I pray that you would begin to make it more and more clear every single day the life you're, you're calling us to live, the, the standards that you're calling us to. Make it clear, God. I, I don't want to be the one setting the standards. I want your word to set the standards. So God, I pray that you would make, make the standards clear. Help us to understand what you're calling us to. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed still, there might be some in the room today who you don't, you don't know Jesus. So you don't know this abundant love that I'm talking about. You don't know uh, this intentional living thing that I'm talking about. It doesn't make sense because you don't know him. Well, today could be the day where that changes. Today could be the day where everything changes and you say yes to him. And you begin to experience that abundant love. You begin to experience that patience, that kindness, that, that love that doesn't boast. It isn't rude or proud. The love that doesn't give up. You, today could be the day where you experience that. If that's you, you say, Pastor Ryan, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Christ, but I want one. If that's you, at the count of three, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. There's nothing... There's nothing um, magical about raising your hand. It's, it's, it, it's not like, um, there's, there's not like a spell or anything. It's just, it's just I, you're just I, helping me identify who I'm praying with. So if that's you, at the count of three, you say, Pastor Ryan, I want to receive Christ today. I want to start living for him. If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you so, so much. Two, it's time to come home to him. Three, if that's you right now, I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you today. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to pray with those who raised their hands. If you didn't raise your hand, but you're thinking, man, maybe I should have. I want to pray with you too. Well, I want to ask everyone in the room to repeat this prayer after me so that nobody feels um, singled out. Nobody feels like I'm picking on them or anything like that. This is a, I want this to be a personal moment between you and the Lord. So I want to ask right now everyone to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, Anchor Church, say it like you mean it. Say, Heavenly Father, today I see where I am and I see who you're calling me to be. And I can feel the distance between the two. And I can feel the heaviness of that distance. Today, I throw off my old self and I put on my new self, created to be like your son. I repent of my sins and I place my trust in you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer today? Man, that's awesome. If you prayed to receive Christ, if you prayed to, to begin a life with him, please let me know. I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, just welcome you to the family. I believe it's the best decision you'll, you'll ever make. So um, what I want to do right now is I just want to take a moment 
to respond to the message. So uh, I don't want us to rush out of here. I, I don't want, I, I don't want to, to mentally check out. The worship team is going to lead a song, and I want us to just respond to the message that we heard today, whether um, that's praying or, or singing the song, or maybe you just sit and meditate on what, what you heard today. Um, but let's not rush through this moment. Let's allow God to continue working on our hearts this morning. So stand with me if you want, um, but the worship team is going to lead us this morning.